Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Aloha and welcome to Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com, Brad Wilson. And for the next 60 minutes, I'm going to be conversing with Party Poker Team Online Pro and Twitch streamer extraordinaire, Jeff Gross. Jeff's been playing poker online and live for about 15 years and boasts an extremely impressive resume with over $4 million in tournament winnings. At the time of this recording, the Pocket Fives Poker Database ranks Jeff at number 104 worldwide. Their numbers, of course, confirm his impressive earnings at some of the major online poker rooms, including 950000 on Stars, 370000 on Party Poker, 300000 on Full Tilt, and one hundred fifty k on America's Card Room. He also keeps himself busy as an entrepreneur, streaming on Twitch, managing a YouTube channel, and producing his own podcast. During our conversation, Jeff will let you in on his views about studying and what it takes to keep up in an ever-evolving game like poker, the importance of the company you keep around you, and the effects of how you interact with your peers at and away from the tables. You'll hear about the first major tournament cash that really set Jeff on the path to becoming a professional player, how Black Friday changed his career and his approach to both poker and life, and much, much more. So without any further ado, this is Jeff Gross on Chasing Poker Greatness. Jeff, welcome to the show. Super pumped to have you. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. I wanted to kick this thing off by talking about, you know, you, you started playing cards in college, right? And about what year was that? I played, started in high school in uh, 2002, 2003, just someone brought poker plastic chipset to uh, college. Can't, we were in uh, high school, but it was a college, University of Michigan. We were there and brought the chips in. We started playing, you know, $5 sit and goes, 25 cent, 50 cent cash games, very small, five, $10 buy-ins, you know, and just messing around. So that, that was when I first got on and then got $25 on party poker, uh, kind of deal, a couple player to player transfers, you know, back then it was very easy to play. I think I was 16 or 15 when I was playing and you could just P to P transfer. And you know, it was kind of the wild west. So that, that was started playing small online and playing live as well. Yes. I remember the party poker P to P transfers and back then too, yeah. everything was limit. They didn't even have really no limit games, right? They were like fifty big blind, maybe fifty dollar no limit type tables. Yeah, it got it got going. I think around the time I started getting there and and really moving, there were, they did have the no limit tables going, but it was uh, yeah, it was it was small and it was different and it was it was a lot of um, it was just you know a very different landscape than it is today. And it was I was playing small. I wish I was playing a little higher then because it was. It was basically free money for anyone that understood even the concept of poker. So yeah, playing, I was doing very well at the 25 cent, 50 cent level, but there were guys five, 10, 10, 25 after like a year or so around that time that just you know, really were able to, to root, to crush and, and do super well. And like you said, you've been around, you know, the, the landscape, it's poker's gotten tougher, still very profitable and possible to do well, but it's just trickier. You got to be more selective and have better discipline and, and work on your fundamentals. So times have changed for sure. Yeah, I remember party poker back in the day playing the 3060 limit game. There were like 55 people on the wait list. I would wake up at 3 a.m., get on the list and go back to sleep and just hope I didn't miss my seat when I woke up because they only had two tables, right? The tables didn't spawn. It was just two always active tables going on. Um, Pretty pretty funny to think about now. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, you got into poker in college. You you grew up uh, having a love of games, strategy games, board games. Can you you speak about that? Was it just a family thing? Yeah, I was an only child and friends. I just love board games, uh, video games. I got a Sega Genesis for my fifth birthday. Remember that very, very vividly playing Sonic the Hedgehog and those type of games. Then got sports games going. I played soccer since I was four with 
friends. I always had would have friends over. We'd always be doing yeah, board games and such. And I just uh, always love games. So when I found out you could make money from a game, that was uh, it was sort of the right place, right time to get into it, where it made sense instead of playing video games or Grand Theft Auto. I remember my sophomore year of high school playing a ton of that game. But then once I kind of found poker around the same time, and then junior year, and then I sort of just stopped playing video games, and, and poker became my my go to for that type of activity. And and it uh, yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun, and met met people that way. Met a lot of friends. Start and from then on, just uh, via poker directly or indirectly. And um, you know, it's uh, it's great. I, I think board games. I think I think games in general are great. Like I have some friends' sons that are interested in poker, and I give some help to. They're really sixteen, seventeen kind of into it and it's it's a fine line right you don't want to push someone and say oh gambling and you know but if someone's got their head on their shoulders and they want to they want to learn some concepts and lessons i think in poker you can you can apply a lot of life lessons and and get a lot of uh positive positive things out of it i think poker has negative connotations attached to it in general in a lot of spots and that's something that i think starting to to shift and, and slowly become more acceptable but it's uh it still kind of has that dark cd feel to it you know it's almost like when i I always get if a, if a friend or parent of a friend, a friend of mine, you know, has a kid and they're interested. I'm always, it's always like a little bit, I'm always a little worried, like how much do I want to dive in? I don't want to like get the kid super crazy hooked, but I also want to try to show them some, some tricks and, and some stuff. So it's a, it's a fine line, but yeah, I think it's great. I think it's a great game, obviously. And, and once people, you know, speaking to that, once people get the bug, the poker bug, it's kind of hard to get rid of it. Right. You you realize oh I I can play a game and I can make money um, yeah. and I can make a lot of money. The once Pandora's box is open, you can't really box it back up. And um, poker does get a bad rap. And you know I I've talked to a lot of people on this show, DGAF guys that have played for a long time and have dealt with their own sort of existential crises regarding poker in general. And it's just super important to to find a balance and um, don't go super bananas. <laughs> you know, don't don't let poker ruin your life. Take it seriously. Play hard. Play within your means. Um, learn as much as you can. There's really no excuse nowadays with so much available information. There's really there's just no excuse to lack on the educational side. The only excuse is basically uh, you just don't want to. Right. Yeah, no, I think it's important. It's, it is. It's to find a good balance between uh, playing, studying and all that. It's it's one of those things where it's easier to play in terms of being fun and make sense. And that's great. But you really do need to have a, a group of people that you run stuff by or do studying on your own. If you're just playing, you know, if you have 100, say, X amount of hours a week that you're playing poker and you know it should be probably, especially the earlier on in your game you are, the closer it should be split to study, study and play around the same and obviously if you've been playing for a long time if you have good private games home games or good spots to earn it's a little less you know that you could argue that you should you don't need to study too much or just kind of brush up but yeah i think it's important to be realistic that a lot of the best players are studying doing work peel solvers or or just at least running some type of simulations or some sort of check strategy with friends or going over and reviewing different hands or, or study there's a lot of good information as you mentioned out there a ton of ways you can do studying. And if you're not doing that, then you're going to either, even if you're good, I think you'll get kind of left behind. Um, and if you are fortunate enough to have revenue streams and, you know, if you have, like you said, you stream on Twitch or you have other content or revenues like you can get a little bit, you can definitely, I think, be a little more lenient on that because you can get away with it. But if you're uh, grinding purely for a living, you definitely want to put the time in it and, and go and, and study as much as possible. I think that's huge. And, and a lot of people really don't do it. Yeah, and I, I spoke with Jungle Man, um, who you don't really associate with possibly falling behind, but he was talking about how 2015 was just a, a struggle for him, a real struggle, a year where he struggled really hard, and he finally kind of bit the bullet and jumped into the simulations and Pio and really upped his game to get to where he needed, he felt he needed to be. So, like, if somebody like Jungle Man can fall behind due to lack of studying, then I'm pretty sure there's anybody in the world is going to going to fall behind because people every day you know especially if you're at the top of the mountain um guys are hungry they're they're going to come after you and they're going to do what it takes to pull yeah. you down um absolutely so so you got to got to take care of yourself um For sure you mentioned soccer you you've played soccer uh since you were age 4 yeah uh, what sort of impact do you think soccer's had on on your poker career as far as like just working with a team 
studying, pushing hard, that sort of thing. Yeah, no, soccer's been great. My dad makes a lot of observation on parallels with, with poker in real life, but poker and soccer for sure. Um, you know, it's, a, it's just, it's a lot of, a uh, lot of, t- you know, even though it's an individual, it's a team game. Soccer is in poker in theory, an individual sport, right? You're playing uh, at a, at a table, you are interacting with people and having to get along in situations. So I think there's a lot of parallel, a lot of similarities too. with, um, you know, I was, I was fortunate to play in a really competitive team you know I was captain of my team growing up I went I played at university got a went to University of South Carolina had a partial scholarship for soccer so I I was I played at a high level up through college and I I think there's just a lot of uh, winning and losing dealing with having a good game or a bad game understanding how to to work um, with your with your teammates and, and and learn how to you know deal with people and just in general I think that's really important you know you have to, at a poker table you have to know how to treat someone that's that's negative and nasty someone that's positive and and fun you want to kind of network with also people that are winners and losers how you handle your own wins and losses there's a lot of that 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 is uh you kind of learn right as sports and competitive sports along the way and a lot of life lessons so I think poker applies in that sense that there's there's a lot of uh, similarities winning losing um, you know, different runs, right? You do well at playing well, not playing well, practice, you know, if you want to put time in off the field and, and do on your own, not just team practice, um, like, or games, if, if you're putting in the extra work. So I think I, I could take a lot of stuff, but that does apply in a lot of sports or a lot of other activities Like you can really apply in, in similar type of attributes you're able to gain. And I, I do think I was having that competitive mindset and focus, just playing one sport, you know, didn't do like three, four sports. I was just one sport, did it to my best of my ability, played at a high level. Uh, I think that definitely was uh, sort of nice and also really transitioned. I, I just kind of went from college. I just sort of decided I wasn't going to go any further. Just wasn't really playing much in college. Why? Why, why did you have that that decision? Was it was it the the allure of poker? Um, how that come about? Yeah, I, I did. You know, I said by in the mid high school, I started getting really into it, and then as I was a freshman in college, I think I just got my first laptop. And I was playing online, having it was really convenient because of classes and practice. I could just bring my laptop. I remember playing in class sometimes, and then I remember before practice or after practice, it was great to be able to hop in and out of these cash games. And then I just kind of realized, like I, I saw a kid who was two year, well, one grade above me. He was on my his name was Jacob Peterson. He was like one of the best players in the country for soccer. Went to Indiana, won two national championships. He was on the one year Michigan Wolves team older than me. And I saw like how, like he was literally a phenom. And I remember he got like a project 40. It was like the MLS contracts at the time that major league soccer was relatively new. And I saw he was like such a great player, just like miles ahead of me. And he was getting like, I saw like what a minimum contract was and like what he was getting in at. And then, you know, he wasn't even going to Europe, right. He wasn't going to Man U or Barcelona or these teams, right. He was in USA playing. The MLS has come a long way, but it was, it was smaller, very much smaller money. And I just kind of realized like, even if I were somehow to give everything I had, I think I was probably physically limited to not going to the next level, just like speed and whatnot. But I just sort of realized like, all right, what am I, what am I really doing? I got a scholarship. I'm in college. The next do I want to be a professional soccer player? And I kind of always thought about it through like high school. I was like, Oh, it's realistic. Maybe I could do it or whatever. And then once I kind of got there, I started, my love for poker came prevalent and I didn't, I didn't get along with my coach in college. I was always like buddy, buddy with my coach, captain of my teams, talk to my coach all, all the time. And just, he didn't really like that. I played poker word got around. He's like Bible belt guy, the old school just didn't really click with him. And I kind of lost my love for it. And I was like, you know, this is great. I get to not have to worry and study game film or go crazy and like go show up to games and be, you know, I was like, I was like being a backup quarterback for uh, even like a third string or something or something. Like I just didn't have to worry. I wasn't really, I knew I wasn't going to be playing, especially my first two years. And it was kind of fun for me. I didn't mind. I partied a decent amount. I stayed in great shape every day. I had a, it's like a fraternity. I had a group of guys, right. I was friends with, I was on the team. It was, it was benefits to being an athlete in college and it was fun. And I, and then I was playing poker late. I would, I would stay up all night playing cards. I would, you know, go to club my first classes and then sleep for practice, <laughs> go to practice, play cards and do my homework while I played online. It was, it was great. I mean, I wouldn't change it for the world. I had an awesome time. It just, uh, just realized it wasn't going to be me for the next level. And I kind of didn't want it anymore. I kind of really just uh, was interested in other things, business stuff and, and poker. So soccer sort of took a back seat, had a good run, 17 years or so of playing intensively. And it just kind of uh, teetered out for me. Do you remember the number? How, how much 
the phenom was going to be making with the MLS contract? I, I remember Project Forty. I think it was forty thousand is what they were getting like their contracts out of um, college, basically to be in this thing. Or, or he might even have left early, but it was like called Project Forty. Actually, buddy of mine, the year number, the guy one year older than me on my team, Brad Gazan, who is um, the U.S. Actually, you might know that name. He's in Atlanta. I think he's a goalkeeper for the Atlanta team now. Um, he was a men's national team goalie as well with Tim Howard. He's been to the you know the World Cups and he was the number two overall draft pick. So he left after his freshman year or no after his sophomore year because my freshman year he was our goalie sophomore like All American whatever. And he's too he actually went to the to ended up going to the Premier League a few years later and played over in um, I want to say Aston Villa you know back in like oh seven eight nine those ten eleven that that era. But anyway you know it was just like he was one of the few and I just remember seeing the uh, the guys in the list and I just knew it wasn't it wasn't that lucrative and I realized like how far ahead you know, it's one of those things I was captain my team all state this and that and I got to college and it was like everyone was great and I and yeah. I just kind of like got lost in the shuffle I thought I was going to come in play you know, be leading the team in assists I played center mid and then I was like oh well didn't really get to play my freshman year at all sophomore year and that's kind of just like the dream I had opportunities to go to other schools that were I probably would have started or played I ended up taking this. I just love the, I like South Carolina, the weather. I like the different, I didn't want to go to Michigan because it was in my backyard and it was cold. And I also, I didn't think I would play there much. I thought I had a better shot here. And then it just, for whatever reason, didn't work out in terms of the playing stuff. But again, it was totally fine. And, and I wouldn't change it. If I could go back, I really, I'm happy how it went. Yeah, I think at that level, like everybody that you play with on your team is the captain in high school yeah. and an All-American. Oh, for sure. and, yeah, and then uh, you're coming in too. You got guys that are seniors and juniors. You're in your position a year or two ahead of you. Which it's is a big thing. deal at that age. Yeah, it's, it's tough. So it was uh, it was a good experience, but just, you know, it is what it is. So kind of that dream ended there. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's probably pretty eye-opening to see the cap, uh, you know, what you're working for. And you're like, oh, wow, like that, I can't. You know, even if I make it, it's still, yeah, it's still not a, not an amazing thing as far as monetarily wise. And plus, you had the backup of poker and the knowledge that, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. to be fair, the, the truth is, I realized pretty quickly it was just like it was even just, you know, I think it was one of those things. If I gave it like a million percent and did everything in my power, I think I, I still didn't think I could probably play. So I was sort of just like accepted that, but I wasn't. It wasn't really disappointing. It was just kind of like, okay, you know, this makes sense and you start looking at the NCAA, the numbers in all sports and what percent actually go pro or, you know, and then you start looking at careers and NFL or other things that oh, average is like two, three years yeah. and all that. So it's like, it just, you start thinking about, I had a buddy as well who played MLS and, you know, he, he didn't really get to play. He got in there. He was my age from my town and we were good friends growing up and played on the same teams and stuff, but it's just, you know, yeah, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not sexy, at least in the past. MLS has come, I don't know the numbers now. I think the top players, you know, they, they kind of have the farewell tour guys from Europe come there, Beckham and these huge names tours. They come and play their last season or two. Thierry Henry play for a few, a season or two or three. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, they come over and they're getting these big size contracts to be a name and just kind of fade out and, and through the MLS. But I, I think the, uh, the overall standard still fairly you know it's definitely different than the nfl or, or major league baseball contracts obviously so it's it's a it's a different game but you know even the good. those those other games you know the competition's still high like you mentioned the nfl the average career is two or three years right yeah and it's kind of a it's a lottery as far as making the league and then thriving and not getting hurt like every play you can potentially sustain a career-ending injury you can scramble your brains there's a lot of uh, a lot of risk that goes into it and while you're playing soccer, so your first big tournament score, you went to Atlantic City, bought into a 1K buy-in at the United States Poker Championships. Can you tell me about that experience? That was pretty crazy. That was actually, I, I believe, I was a couple weeks after I turned 21. Um, I bet so I've been going to Atlantic City several times um, in the past. I, I like it there. You know, I knew the routine of the whole thing, and then it was, uh, it was summer or no i'm sorry it was i didn't travel so my team went away for the weekend i traveled some weekends i didn't others i wasn't traveling that week and then my buddy who played tennis at south carolina actually let me think who did i i'm trying to think who i flew with i think no that's not true so i flew up there i'm trying to man that's crazy i'm trying to remember who i went with (laughs) but i went there and then i ran into a buddy who played tennis there and he was in my dorm and he was there for the weekend as well it's kind of random we, we hit it off and then uh, I ended up getting I played in this tournament I ended up getting 
fourth, fourth. And I made a deal. I think I had like 17, nine, 17,900, but it was like 215 people. I got 12,900 plus 5k saver with someone who was also in, um, but it was pretty cool. Cause yeah, it was a 1k buy-in. I was there for the weekend. It was a couple of days, it was a USPC event side event. And I got like 18,000 plus did well in the cash games. I was playing a little bit there too. So it was fun. I, I flew in and and had like a 25k weekend. I mean, college kind of that might blackjack, but poker version came back and you know, my team, uh, whatever they came back, I came back and you know, I had a had a cool story and and that kind of got me in it because that was literally the first live tournament I played. So to have you know a final table, get some good money, come back, boost the roll, definitely was a uh, memorable part of my career and something that I think you know if it had gone differently, would have been maybe things would be a lot different. You know, I actually met one of my best friends in the world now, Tim Begley, who I met there in 2000. It was 2007. So I met him at the table, sitting down randomly, had dinner. Uh, we were there and, and and now we're very close. He actually came to the Olympics with me in the next year in 2008. And I, and I actually met my one of my other best friends in the world, Michael Phelps. That's also I met at a poker table, but that was in Windsor uh, in 2006. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've met some of my closest friends I've met directly or indirectly from poker or at a poker table, which is pretty cool. Wow, I, I didn't realize Michael Phelps was playing poker back in 2006. I, I played with him in commerce maybe 2013, 2014 in LA, but I didn't realize he had been in poker for that long. That's actually a while. Yeah, he went to University of Michigan. I'm from Ann Arbor. We met there, uh, hit it off, and then I went on vacation. I had came back, had a voicemail. He's like, why don't we drive up together instead of whatever. I drove with them. We, we became very close, and then I, I actually moved in with them in 2008 for seven years. We were roommates in, in Baltimore. And, yeah, he. I mean, he played a lot of. He liked poker. He would play a lot, and you know, he's uh, definitely. I think out of like you see the athletes playing on poker after dark, you hear about some guys that do some poker. I, I know for sure he's definitely one of the strongest, like kind of athlete celebrity type deals. Like he, he's he's a you know he knows what he's doing. He's he's seen a lot of hands, and he likes yeah. to kill low a lot. And, very uh, sharp guy. So yeah, yeah, it's it's cool seeing Michael Phelps at the table because it's Michael Phelps, right? Um, but it's not cool seeing Michael Phelps at the table just because he's going to be like giving it away, right? Uh, I have I have played some PLO games with some some athletes that like just potted in the dark. <laughs> they potted it in the dark for like every hand for like a two hour stretch and drop thirty or forty k in the game and right. then disappear, um, yeah. which is just bizarre in its own right. But uh, yeah, he he's definitely a good a solid poker player. Was that kind of the moment where you realized like that, that Atlantic city trip, like I'm going to do this. I can do this. This is my thing. Yeah. I mean, look, I was, so I was, I was, uh, I had a great coming into college. It couldn't have been more fun. I mean, I had been feeling good about my game. I, the 33 rebuy on party poker in particular, that tournament where you could like go all in. I don't know if you remember that glitch where you could just go all in and rebuy. So like, even if no one called you, or you won or lost, it's like going and get chips. But that, that tournament no. was insane. Yeah. So many people were doing it. So like the prize pools were just insane. Plus people played terrible. So like you could really get big stacks. And 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 I, I had some some great scores in there leading up to college. And I remember coming to college, I got a nice laptop. I, my uh, my freshman year, I, I had two flat screen TVs and, you know, making absurd purchases. Like I'd win like five, six, seven thousand. I'd spend four or five of it. What was the silliest TVs. thing you bought? Just uh, probably plasma TVs, you know, talking about like <laughs> net worth to what I would, what I spent was, was just pretty crazy, right? Like I was spending like 70, 80% of my bankroll on stuff and it was just, it was just crazy times. But um, yeah, I, I was fun. We were in, I lived in a, the athletic dorms. I shared, I, we had a four suite room. So there's two and two and then like a living room kitchens type deal. And then I actually got an affiliate. The, the turning point for me in poker was college freshman year. I got an affiliate programs. I've always been big into affiliate type deals and, and whatnot, but uh, the, the the one that changed the game was party poker because they had this thing where I think it was twenty five dollar refer a friend. So you would get twenty five for every friend you referred, plus they would get a fifty dollar bonus. They cleared like one hundred twenty five raked hands, and then they did these crazy bonuses. So like I was doing, I would sign up twenty thirty people a month, and then I would get like they would say, well, if you do ten more the next month, you get like a two thousand bonus. So I would make everyone these accounts. I would go door to door sign people up and then I would play, you know, I would, I would like put the money, get them on there, show them what to do. They would play the right hands and I would take the 50 back, leave them 50 in their account. And I, I remember months I would get like $6,000 and I was in college from just signing up people to play. And then I showed my roommates how to do it, 
gave them the role to do it. And I had like 20% some of sub affiliate deal they had. So like then they, and that was like our spring break. We went freshman year to Cancun and you know, they, they paid for their spring breaks with it. And it was like, it was just awesome. I had all of a sudden there's like hundred people signed up and it was, it was, it was great. Like I did that for most of my freshman year, this affiliate deals. And and it it was like kind of how I even got more into less playing and more just kind of generating that. And that was, that was like when I knew I could do it for real is when, when I had that sort of baseline stuff coming in and, and poker was just so juicy. So I think it was before the AC score, but that, that got me into like the live kind of deal and looking to play more live events and then the WSOPs and, and going out to the summer stuff. So it's definitely a confidence boost for live, but I had already been pretty deep into it. And, uh, you know, for, for what year. year was that? Uh, let's see. I mean, gotta be like 2004, 2004, 2005. Yeah. I guess I graduated high school in 04 and then was in, in college and yeah, summer or spring or fall of 04, I guess would have been the start of college. Yeah. So that, that, that's really awesome. Um, hustling, talking to people, getting people signed up. I remember specifically, uh, I joined the party poker affiliate program, did absolutely nothing with it, um, <laughs> for the record, but they sent me like a, a box of things like windbreakers and business yeah, yeah, cards. cards. They had the Mike Sexton business cards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was crazy. I knew a kid, I knew a guy making like 70K a month. That Holy that, shit. Yeah. That. He was like one of the original ones, but I think I peaked at like 6,500, 7K a month. And then at some point they stopped it and changed it to MRR only. And, you know, we're or like based on the the, re- the revenue that people were generating, it, it shifted. But yeah, it was great. And that was, uh, that was definitely like, that was a good memory. You know, that was like where I really put down a lot of work, had the, the notebooks with, all the emails and everything and signing up everyone. And it was, yeah. it was a wild time. Was Flex, fun. flexing your entrepreneurial muscles yeah. along with, with poker. And then UIGEA happens and party poker just kind of disappears. Yeah, so what was that? Um, that must've been 2006. I remember that when that happened, they had all these monster tickets, this 20 mil or something guarantee they were doing. Oh my that, God. Yes. It was insane. It just shut down. Then I got into full tilt and poker stars. I think that's when I downloaded poker stars for the first time. Cause I was literally just playing on party uh, got full tilt poker stars gotten some other gaming networks and was messing around then but it was uh yeah that was a that was a big moment big change and things uh yeah things shifted pretty quick there and, and you're grinding along you're playing online poker let's move up the timeline to black friday uh you you mentioned i mean obviously black friday is a pretty uh cataclysmic event for online poker players can you tell me how Black Friday affected you and uh, how it turned out to be like, in your own words, an amazing thing? Yeah, I mean, I remember I was in New York City. I was actually with the friend I mentioned I met in Atlantic City, Tim Begley. We were at a, him and Mez, our friend's apartment, and like woke up, saw the messages. You know, we were playing a lot online back then. Uh, and it was just kind of crazy, you know, because it was just like, oh, well, now this is like my routine. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm making money. This is how I'm trying to make money. And all of a sudden now, you know, I, I live in Baltimore, I travel around and now I just can't do what I was doing. So you know, this definitely, it felt like doomsday kind of like, wow, what's next? How's this going to work? But it kind of got me out of the uh, online thing into playing more private games, going around doing cash games, go to Atlantic City more, was going to different stops, uh, started playing, playing the live tournament scene. And ultimately got me a lot healthier. You know, I was sort of in a like thing where I would just, we would play beer pong every night. I would, I would play poker all day, order Chinese food. If I was out of the tournaments, hop in the, the, uh, drink basically late, you know, I was in that phase of having fun and just out of no responsibility, no school, no soccer, no practice, no nothing. It was just kind of like wild west fun. And I was getting out of shape. I wasn't working out. It's eating not well. I was partying a lot. So, you know, and then I wasn't really doing much activity or traveling or lie out of being locked in a place. So yeah, I think ultimately it turned into be a real big positive and kind of got back and healthy was traveling more. And then looking back on, I think it was maybe the best thing that ever happened. Now also, I think with my game at that point in tournaments, I think I wasn't, I, you know, I wasn't doing studying really. I didn't know what to study. I was getting by on being a winning player, but I looking back, like I was barely you know break even or winner on there online by that time i think and and just wasn't really doing a lot of work right just sort of playing very abc and whatever and uh looking back on it you know i wish i realized how like some of the crushers and people that were really killing the game then you know they had they'd already 
they had done all that work or they knew these stuff or they read stuff. And, and it was a good, it was a kind of a reset and a reflect and a recheck. And I think it was, uh, just kind of worked out one of those things where you look at it at the time when you know, really it's like, that's another thing my dad would tell me. It's like, not about what happens. It's how you react to what happens. And that's super important. And everything stuff's going to happen. Things you're going to look at immediately as like, Oh, it's the end of the world. Or you're going to get really upset. Could have a shining light immediately after or down the road after, and really just got to like stuff. You got to take it for what happens. Stuff's going to happen. Bad people are going to die. You know, not saying there's like positives out of that necessarily, but stuff happens, you know, you, you break your foot, you, you fall down, you lose, you get bad beat in the tournament, you uh, sleep in and, or you have a bad interview or you get fired, like stuff happens. Right. And it's just like, you just got to sort of like, take it like, that's how it is. And then now what, right. How are you going to go from there? Do you want to cry about it? Do you want to mope about it? Do you want to say, this is like, why this is about me. This is so bad or just sort of uh, move forward. And I think that's a big lesson. And that was sort of uh, something I could definitely look back on and use that as a powerful message in my life. Um, uh, to, to take that example and use that in that, that sense. And, and that's, that's super valuable, uh, super valuable value bomb, control the controllables because life will throw you curveballs. Life is going to put things in your path that you, you don't anticipate and you have to rise up to meet, meet the challenge. I mean, I was completely blindsided in 2011. Like I didn't realize I could get fired and then all of a sudden <laughs> I got fired. Right. right. Um, and looking back on it now, it's like I'm with you. I think that it ended up being a good thing for me. It, it broke my cycle that I was in, allowed me to mix it up, travel, meet new people, make new friends, um, and really forge a completely different life that at the end of the day has led me to more fulfillment and more happiness overall. It's, it's, it's very true. I mean, that's a it's, – it's, I think that's a – think in my experience of people, the, the people that are able to adapt and make those type of changes and, and realizations that life is moves forward. And it's like, you know, you have a real opportunity to whatever you're doing, whatever field you're in to take a situation that doesn't just impact you. And then it, it really, you can, depending on how you let that affect you, you, know, you can really separate yourself from your peers by, by uh, being able to understand that and, and what it means and how, how you're able to uh, shift quickly, right? Like some people were able to immediately go and they signed up in Canada and they got their name set up and they realized how to do it. They found ways around it or they found ways to exist with it. There's others that just said, oh, this is it or whatever. I'm done. This is the worst thing that ever happened. And like, I'm, you know, you know, at the same time, some people probably said, all right, you know, that's it. I had fun with poker. Let's uh, get serious about life and do something else. And that's cool too. So, uh, you know, I think, um, right. That, that really can tell a lot about a person and how strong and, and adaptable they are to, yeah. to adversity. It was a big filter. It filtered a lot of people out um, from poker at the time. And uh, you mentioned that you had kind of you're a break even player. You weren't growing in the way that you felt that you should. What was the highest impact action that you took around that time to improve your game? Started talking with players about hands, situations. I think poker is a lot of ego. Of course, it makes sense. You know, you want to believe that you're doing the right things, whether because you could just figure it out intuitively. But you know, at, at some points, talking to guys that you see have better results or friends that you might want to discuss hands with and say, "Hey, what do you think here?" Because that could be something as simple as your small blind leak of calling or a certain stack size of twenty-five to or twenty to thirty-five big blinds you're playing. You know, pairs incorrectly. Uh, by flatting instead of shoving or folding instead of calling all these different, like certain adjustments can go a long way. Like something small could trigger a big impact in your game that maybe you play great in so many areas, but you play terrible in a few and a guy who's just pretty good. in most is going to even do better long-term. So I think it was just sort of like realizing the players and, and checking my ego at the door and talking to people. And then, you know, just being open to different methodologies on situations of hands. I believe that, was very impactful and just sort of realizing like, it's okay. Now, I think a couple of friends that I was hanging out with a lot, they would lie sometimes too about their hands. Like you'd ask them all oh, what happened at a live thing, you know, or there wasn't really reporting or online. It's different, right? Like you, people say, Oh, you got, I lost ace queen, ace king, or I busted on the, this. And it's like people, it was almost like a, uh, some train of thought was, it was like embarrassing to get your money in bad. And I think that was like a big, big, thing for to sort of realize like no like you're certain spots you're supposed to do stuff like you need to make this play with queen jack off shoving for 15 blinds like you, that's the right thing it's like okay if the guy had ace king or aces and you ran into it and you lose like you made the right play so you know, i think i was kind of there was i was stuck in a little bit of that 
some of that school of thought where people didn't want to get it in good and it was important to get it in good and, and, and that mindset, which wasn't necessarily correct. And just, uh, I think that was a big growth, like realizing that and talking to people about spots and realizing like, it's okay to take chances and make moves. And even if you run into a better hand, it's not a big deal. Just getting into that next level of player and thinking. So yeah, outside perspectives, uh, all these different inputs, they can be very, very helpful, especially when they come from trusted sources in, uh, in growing your game exponentially, just really expediting that growth. Uh, and one thing that I always caution to, to be careful of it is do pay close attention to the sources that you're getting your information from, because bad information can be very harmful to your game. Um, if you take it and apply it. So, uh, be sure you trust the folks that you're getting feedback from. What is up, you future star of poker, you? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're sitting there wondering to yourself, why? Why is Coach Brad promoting this PKC Poker app thing? Allow me a moment to explain my why. Battling in cash games has been my livelihood for the past 15 years. It's how I survive and put food on the table for my family which makes it imperative that I either test out or seek qualified opinions on all of the poker platforms on the market. One juicy find can mean the difference between a meh year and an amazing family vacation in Hawaii kind of year. With that said, I have tried almost all of the major poker apps on the market to date, and despite the hype about amazingly juicy games, have come away from the experience unsatisfied. I was just never able to find success against seemingly weak competition and in one specific case was getting outright destroyed by passive villains playing more than 50% of their hands. What on earth was going on, right? After many evenings sitting in the bathtub wondering if I had lost it, I finally dug into the data and learned something that shouldn't have been too surprising to you. These dudes were colluding and super using their pants off. So I swore off those free money, decentralized devil apps and decided to go back to my more familiar streets of ignition. It was then that I was contacted by a good friend of mine who turned out to be the vice president of worldwide operations at PKC. Him and I had a long, in-depth conversation about security, the ecosystem, and the future direction of PKC, and he managed to convince me to give it a shot. That shot turned into an incredible six months with an hourly rate that's about five times what it would have been playing on any other US platform. As it turns out, I didn't forget how to play. I just needed to be on a level playing field to return to my crushing ways. I have no doubt that you, my community, my audience is going to play online poker somewhere. And I want to be damn sure that you don't go through the pain and frustration I felt by messing around with any poker app besides PKC. This is why promoting PKC is a no-brainer for me. I love you, I love my community, and I want to put you in the best position to succeed at this game that we both love so much. So if you'd like to join me in the streets of PKC, simply head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod and get your invite code to play. You must have an invite code to play and you must be 21 years of age or older. One more time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod to get your invite code. Best of luck, and now, on with the show. You, you mentioned private games, that uh, you, you started playing in some private games. Can you speak about that, and what's your experience been in those games specifically? I've had, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate with that because private games, of course, are tricky as uh, opens up the door for, I mean, listen, there can be marked cards or cheating or collusion at any game, whether it's televised, oh, casino, Online. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but you open up a huge opportunity for cheating, collusion. You know, if places are taking a rake, that you know, you're getting things are not done correctly. So, you know, it's it's it it's very tricky. But my situation was, I was in a, I did a personal development course in Vegas. Actually, Antonio Sfandiari got me in, had me go to it, and. He suggested me to go there. Bill Perkins, as well as one of his very close friends, he got to go there and said, you know, trust me, this is like, this will change your life. You want to check it out? We went there, we hit it off, became super, super close. Uh, And then shortly after there were, he was in Houston, I would come visit, hang out. And then I was playing the game there. This was just a wild game. You know, I was like 200, 400. And I was playing this game all of a sudden with the best lineup I've ever seen and doing very well. So I, I did that for 
I don't know, two, three years of uh, coming in for once or twice a week. Um, what year was this? So it was like 2012. Oh, wow. So not that far removed from where you felt you were a break-even player. Um, what happened? Why, why were you able to find such such success in such a massive game? Well, no, I think, first of all, I mean, again, we're talking online Mostly I was playing tournaments, so multi-table tournaments. This is cash games. I've always done well in cash games. You know, online, like at that point, six max. I was trying to play like 12 tables of one, two, six max. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was whatever. Like I said, it wasn't nothing super great was, was happening. I did fine. But um, yeah, that was at that time. I think it was just, yeah, when I play one table, more focused. And then also the level of play. Like it's just like you can play very uh, exploitatively, right? Like you just know, like go for value have it you can tighten up your ranges and guys are gonna make big mistakes and uh whatnot but yeah i mean i was very fortunate played in there i mean and then i met my wife 2014 and it became less of like and then i actually got into twitch so you know it kind of it became bill moved away from houston and it was a lot to fly in there you know now i had wanted to start a family i had a serious girlfriend um i was living in baltimore it just became like it became the game slowed down some and it was just sort of like a lot to juggle doing that plus trying to stream on twitch play live tournaments have relationships so i kind of had to make some cuts and i think that was like the biggest decision i ever made was to go for it with twitch um that was a big decision to say all right let me just do this let me i i believe in the process i think that i'm gonna have a successful avenue here but it doesn't happen overnight twitch you know a lot of i've had a lot of people come to me and say kind of tangent here but it's interesting because a lot of well-known i would say well-known pros or people want to start it and try it either they do it they never get off the ground or they try it do it like once twice three ten times and they maybe think their name is going to carry them now a phil helmuth a daniel negranu you know like phil locker antonio spandari if they hopped on phil and daniel do have twitch channels they don't really do it but they've done it those type of names sure could could drive a big big following and, and big numbers very quickly but outside of maybe four or five people it's like you know even if you're a crusher if you're one of the best high stakes players in the world you know you're gonna build a slow channel like it just how it works people have to follow you they gotta you know they add you they see you're there they want consistency and that's just it's a tough mo so i think when i saw somerville streaming jamie staples kevin martin at the time and i was like wow it's pretty cool i see they they got big channels i see how they have their affiliate stuff below which hit home to me i saw how there's like recorded content makes it kind of at that time poker was sort of dying in terms of multi-table tournaments or it's got not dying but it was so much harder right like it was like people are playing for a living it's a way different landscape so i was sort of like look i like playing if i'm gonna play makes some sense but i would so then i'm like benefiting it's like playing a video game now too like there's not no value in playing a video game but if you stream you become a good streamer maybe you get a scholarship you know, there's opportunities you can become there are big monetized streamers now so i thought the same thing with poker well if i'm gonna play online i may as well record it i may as well try this let's see if we can do it and i sort of told my wife like hey bear with me um <laughs> i think this is going to be cool and then back then to the technology was different the twitch wasn't as nice the internet issues you know i was flying all over the world to try to stream so we go to new zealand would go there internet doesn't work the hotels you call have to call ahead check this oh yeah five upload five download just still not great, but it was like good enough. And then you get there, that's not steady. Australia couldn't stream. Brazil, worst internet at the time. You know, just traveling around. I mean, I have stories and things I wish I was filmed or could document up. The, the, the tilt, the stress, carrying your stuff on the road, the laptop, you miss a cord, ethernet cord, something breaks, your second monitor, bags lost, like all this shit, the, the struggles of streaming on the road. Like if I could have just streamed from my house and click live and have my nice setup and my comfortable chair, good internet, all good equipment. Now, I would have probably streamed every day by now or every other day or whenever I could, two, three, four hours a day. But that was a big, was a very intensive process to get kind of go, go through it. So um, yeah, that, that was like the biggest move, I think, decision to sort of get away from the steady private game to build something. Because again, a private game is amazing, right? If you're in a great private game, it's good. But guess what? There's no real value. You make some good contacts, okay? But then the game dies. A couple of the big feeders of the game don't come play. Or, you know, whatever reason. The game shuts down for those 10 different reasons it could shut down. And then what? If you have nothing, you're not investing. If you don't have some sort of backbone, there's really no foundation for yourself, like other than being good at poker and whatever. If you have Twitch, if you have YouTube vlogs, you do podcasts, you have, a, you have endorsements, you have other opportunities, 
that you lay a foundation, now you're pretty insulated from from a bad run or from whatever. And just you have that always. You have your Twitch videos. You have content you can put up later. You can do stuff with. So you know, for me, it was like a, in my mind, I had this whole vision. Uh, it just it just uh, it was like it was a long term play. And I think even just in the last you know, even up, up to maybe a year ago, I was like, man, is this the right choice? The game picked up, it got bigger. And I was, you know, I was just like, do I, is it the right play for me? And then as I thought about it, it just was like, it was just simply like, it, I, I see the light. I got to deal with the dream with party poker, got a good thing going there and some other stuff happened and it just kind of all came together, but it was a, uh, it was a tough choice and not really sure what the right answer was at the time, but it just kind of, my gut said, go this route, go the content route, do what you love and and build something so that that's sort of that was like a big change and chance yeah i mean we can't compare the timelines because we don't know what happens if you go the other route right so it's like an impossible thing but it seems that you know you're exploding your podcast itself is exploding your the things that you you make your website all of that is uh, i'm very envious of uh, how beautiful the right, the graphics and everything looks um, because this is something that I struggle with <laughs> in such a big way, such a I mean, massive way. I mean, really, the 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 answer is always, in my opinion, outsourced. You know, like Andrew Nimi, for example, he's got the uh, marquee Twitch, or I'm sorry, um, YouTube channel. You know, 120, 30, or whatever it is, thousand subscribers. That's his thing. He's doing his own videos, his own editing, and all that. It's very tough. I don't. I think he was looking to outsource that. Uh, this some point, but that was like his craft, you know, he learned it, but I mean, I, it's like, he's spending eight, 10 hours a day on just the blog. So, you know, for me, I've, I've been lucky that I've had a very, a guy of Adrian who did over 200 Twitch streams development. He, uh, was with me. We kind of took him on full time. He then started doing less of all the other stuff he was doing folks on my, we came up with a deal and then Bill Perkins, I got to, I told him, Hey, like you should, I think you'd like Twitch. He started doing Bill's stuff just exclusively working for us. And, you know, we, we, and we have him directly doing this stuff because it is, it's hard, man. If you're doing your podcast, you're doing your stuff, you're you're creating the content. That's like what you want to do. I think you, you hit on it. We talked before a bit about finding some ways to monetize, having some steady other stuff. Then you can start justifying or spending because you know, it'll come back. Once you get to that point where you're like, all right, I'm going to spend X amount a month and outsource papers and advertising, pay someone to help me. You're just, you're going to level up because if not, you can't really get ahead because of what you're good at or what you want to do is, you know, yeah, is it good? Maybe it's valuable to learn how to edit and do some stuff, but the time it takes and all that really, you know, the opportunity cost with other content or playing you can do it. It's tough. So I think that's like, that's a, that's a big suggestion I would make. And again, I have no idea on what, <laughs> if you're doing it all yourself or if you have some help or whatever, no. but that that's, that's a uh, big step. I think for people out there looking to, sort of go that route and try to try to take that and maybe go out of your comfort zone and say, ah, oh, I don't want to spend 500,000, two, three, 4,000 a month or whatever it is. If you sort of like break it all down, you realize you can expand your horizon a lot. It's usually going to be worth it. If you have good content and you have a good message, I think it, it ends up usually working out to try it. Very gratefully. I have a team of 10 now that, oh, wow. you know, I'm managing them and building the business and we're, you know, they're immensely helpful in every single aspect of the things that I do because you only have so many hours in the day. Like you said, Andrew Nimi spending eight to 10 hours a day and that takes him away from creating more content that takes him away from growing his brand and doing other things that he could be doing. So buying those hours back by heading to Upwork or heading to some freelance site and finding guys and and I'm with you too. Like, I don't believe you should be a master at all the little Um, the little things like editing and graphic design and these things, I do think you should have some cursory knowledge so that you at least know what people are doing. Um, Because if you don't, if you hire somebody for Facebook ads and it just completely bombs, you need to know what went wrong um, and how you can improve. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. It's fun to learn as well. It's just, uh, I think I saw there's I met CeeLo Green at uh, Amfar at this charity poker thing and, and chatted with him a bit and, I follow him on Instagram and uh, I, I saw one of his things. It was, uh, I love the statement. It was about like, I don't complain about having a lot of my plate. Cause I, I'm no, you know, I, cause I want to eat. Like I, I'm the one who wants to, it's like, I think it's a blessing. If you get to that point where it's just like, you have, Oh, I have so much stuff I can do. People that complain, they're so busy, whatever. I mean, really it's like, isn't that, that's kind of what you want. And if you're able to choose and, and sort of itemize what's important or whatnot, it's uh, it's, it's cool. You know, it's a good thing if you feel busy and you have a lot going on, 
Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great thing. Yeah, it's a personal preference, and, and it's you know what brings you joy and what makes you happy and what you want to spend your time on. I think like if you hate editing your podcast, for instance, and you're spending three hours doing it, then hire somebody else to do it because that three hours you can spend doing something else. And likely if you're in the poker field, make more money doing it anyway. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's a personal preference on all of these little things. All right, let's head into the lightning round here. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker, what would it be? Probably I would have to go with the tanking slash talking rule stuff. I think Jamie Gold sort of blew it for everyone and not even blew it, but like not necessarily to, the, to his fault because it was what was allowed. But that I think how the rules were shaped from that were really not correct in a way. They're overcompensating, I think, for the extreme, just saying no talking. It's pretty annoying when you're at a table and you can't even start chatting to the guy you're playing with. Like I get like there's angle shooting. You're trying to get information about the hand. But, I mean, so many times I see a dealer say, you can't talk about anything but the weather. You know, and <laughs> And try or like you just like they're so stringent on that. And I think that's like I think it makes people less have fun, also more afraid. And it, it just feels kind of like it, it, that that to me is bothersome because I get it. I get the reason why they don't want you want like to protect people from giving up information about their hand. You shouldn't say, Oh, I have ace queen and you know, I'm still playing these mind games and specifics of your hand, but like still you can, you know, are you bluffing or talk to a guy and say, Would you do this here? I think, man, I think you have or like this doesn't make sense, you know, talk a little bit of your thought process and stuff. I just feel like that was so fun on TV to see back in the day, these guys kind of work through hands or talk about it or say to a guy and like Negron, you or you know, Matisau and these uh, characters that, that chatted and Devilfish and all these guys were just animated personalities on Brett Brennis and all these things that just sort of have gone away. And like that, I think is, that's a, that's something that I miss and I think is a issue with the game right now. Yeah, there's this direct correlation between freedom and security. And by aiming to make the game more secure, they've taken away a lot of the freedom. Because poker is a psychological game, right? Like everything is information. Uh, Everything's data. You're constantly collecting it. And it's a a game of people. Like if you're not going to let people talk, then why are we even here? Why are we sitting around in this circle playing this game? If you can't say, hey, I've got a really good hand here, like, you know, what's going on? You know, just just have because, yes, of course, you're trying to get more information. That's what everybody's trying to do. But that's the game. That's what makes the game beautiful. Personally, I think uh, this is for just from a cash game player's perspective. Like, I I would love it if people could show their cards and talk about it and try to get a reaction. And, And I mean, people can close their eyes. People cannot respond that's their own choice. If they engage that engagement, when you have Negreanu talking to somebody and they're talking back, um, that's, that, that's good for TV. It's good for the game in my opinion. Yeah. And I'm a hundred percent with you and Jamie gold. Yeah. I've played with him multiple times and it's not that that's just him. <laughs> that's who he is. Actually. He talks incessantly regardless of if the cameras are on or if the cameras are off. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. For me, yeah. that's what I, I just see it all the time. It's like, it frustrates me when, especially when it's not about when they're clearly not, you know, that's like, it gets uncomfortable almost like it's like an amateur will say something or, or do something where they're clearly just thinking or talking or visibly frustrated, have a tough decision. And then they like say the dealer's like, you can't talk, you can't (laughs) say anything. It's just like, really like, and it's, and then they kind of feel embarrassed or unsure. It like almost looks like they're angle shooting or something and they're not. I mean, so it's, it's a, yeah, I missed, I think that's the issue. Yeah, me too. I'm with you 100%. Um, what's something people would be surprised to learn that you're horrible at? I guess I get made fun of for driving. I mean, I, my, Mike <laughs> always used to say that. And my friends would say, because I didn't really drive. I actually got a lease in 2013 or 14 or 15 or something. I forget. But I had uh, I ended up putting 2,000 miles on the 24,000 lease. I don't really drive a lot. and I don't know. I guess that people think I'm bad at driving. I take a lot of Ubers now. I have a car. I didn't have a car even for like a couple of years because we we're traveling all the time. Got one. We have a baby, five month old now. And I, but I just, so like, it sort of seems like I get that comment that I'm not good at driving. At the same time, knock on wood, I've uh, never had an accident or a, you know, problem. But uh, yeah, look, this, this is me. Like, driver. you're speaking my language here. Like, yeah. and I don't know if your wife comments. My wife does comment about me being a bad driver. And I'm like, I've never been in an accident. I've never, um, I've had some speeding tickets, 
But, you know, let's hold off calling me a horrible driver until I get into some crashes here. Like, what's my what's yeah, what's exactly. the metric that you use to judge good and bad drivers if it's not getting into accidents, right? For sure. I'm, um, I'm, I'm Exactly. So, yeah, I guess you could say bad driving. What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? Uh, really a couple, but I mean, the... I'm working with Rob Young on some stuff with party poker and just in general changes there. Also a side project that's coming be announced pretty soon. That's uh, related to industry with him, but I'm doing some stuff with him and just in general party poker, trying to get the cash game scene back online. Something it's very tricky, whether you have aliases, not aliases, how the games are structured, how they're not predatorial. So I think that's something that would be a huge win for the game if there could be online cash games that feel kind of back, you know, date back a decade or so, which is uphill battle. But uh, Rob's working really closely on doing that. He's got a lot of ideas and innovation and, and really open with the players and getting feedback on that. So that's something I'm trying to help with and um, just get the uh, the online poker kind of in general the feel better feel for not having negative connotations and, and get that back to uh, healthy. So I'd say just kind of branding, working with party poker and getting, getting the, uh, the overall poker feeling of online back to a stronghold. So I, that's sort of the biggest thing I'm working on as well as the podcast doing, growing the podcast, trying to find a rhythm with that because yeah, same thing. I want to, I want to get more of a schedule like once a week or have, have set times and stuff. And there's periods of time where I'll do like two, three in a row and then won't do one for a month. So you know, that was a, that was a big learning too, uh, as you know, you're doing your, your the shows, but just like how to get the timestamps, how to have it done, put it out on all the outlets, Spotify, iTunes, get it digitally done correctly, have all these things. Like it's so hard to start stuff. I think that's uh, something I've always been pretty, uh, you know, YouTube vlogs, Twitch, just saying, I don't really care. Like someone will say, what's your goal? What's going to happen? I don't know. Is Twitch going to work? I don't know. My YouTube is going to be successful. I don't know. Is a podcast going to do go forever? Is it going to make money? I don't know. I'm doing it because I like it. I'm doing it because I believe I can be good at it. And I see a long-term path. I think if you just don't, you know, they say the first step, thousand miles, all these quotes or whatever. But really, if you like something, you want to try it, you should dive in. If you wait till the best equipment, if you wait, I need to line up a hundred guests, you know, this kind of stuff, you're just never going to happen. You really just got to go in for it. You'd be surprised. You reach out to people. Um, you know, I'm looking to do not just poker. That's why I made Jeff Gross podcast. I didn't do Jeff Gross poker podcast because I want to do guests, not just only poker. It'll probably still be half or more poker. But, um, you know, I, I think that's that's like uh, that's what I'm passionate about is just kind of going for stuff, doing it. And then whatever happens down the line, is it going to be Joe Rogan podcast? Am I going to make money from it? I don't know. I don't really care, um, really. And if I think that generally usually those things work out the best when you do something you're really passionate about. You know, if, they, if you do something you love, they say you'll never work a day in your life kind of thing. And that's sort of what I sort of uh, try to do. That's awesome, man. I, I didn't realize you were going to branch out to like the non-poker player type folks. And last year, I I did a podcast completely different, not about poker, and spoke with experts, Olympians, um, amazing entrepreneurs, learning their daily processes. And that was just an amazing experience. It didn't make me much money, but then it prepared me for this project, I know that I know the process now for doing all the things that you talked about because it's extremely time consuming. I know you, the folks listening might be surprised, but I, I don't just wake up out of bed, upload a podcast episode, and it gets distributed <laughs> across all channels. Right? It's like a fifteen step process that's extremely intensive and tough. And um, really, I, there, there's a, a story about potters and these two potters. They Basically, one potter spent one week making one piece of pottery, and the, this other potter spent a week making just as many as possible, right? And then they compared to see which one was the best. And it was like not even a, a contest. Like the people that made the many, many, many different uh, pieces of pottery just crushed the person working on one. So it's an immersive experience. Get in there, try it out. It's going to suck. Like whenever you do something the first time, it's going to suck, period. Um, yeah. You just have to learn from that and grow as time goes on. And you can really build something great if you put the time and energy into that learning process and growth. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, absolutely. I agree. And yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's evolution too. It's like the equipment gets better. The stuff gets better. The, the technologies you're working on, the platforms get better with speed, with precision, with features. Twitch has the, the multi, you know, what's it called? The uh, squads now. There's just all these different innovations and the, the, the graphics get better and the bits they add and donations and, and different like tricks and 
things just kind of improve along the way. So it's, it's fun. You know, it's fun looking back. I've had different, three different logos, different slogans, different names, different emojis, emoticon, like the whole thing just kind of, uh, it just sort of happens overnight. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. And you, you just sort of look back and you're like, wow, like that was crazy. Like I remember two, three years ago and you know, all this stuff. So yeah, just get in there, do it and sort of learn as you go. That's a, I think that's the way to go. Yeah. The days are long, but the years are short. You look yeah. back and see how far you've come and you realize, holy shit, like uh, it doesn't seem like it because you're with yourself every day. But then you look right. back and you're like, wow, I yeah. can't believe. And I think there's a big opportunity as well. There's uh, with poker, if you enjoy content and you're younger and hungry, you said you're 33. I'm 35, I think. 35, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, like the guys like I'm, I'm very close with Antonio Esfandiari, Phil Locke, Brian Rast, those guys. And then there's, you know, Helmuth as well. But then there's other guys like Ivy. You know, if you really name the big four, Negranu, Ivy, Helmuth, Antonio, I think those are like the four pillars in poker like the, that have been around. They're like the main guys that play the highest stakes, have done some of the craziest stuff. And, you know, the personalities you've seen forever. I mean, you can name another 10 guys as well in that list. But those are sort of like, I would say, the biggest four. Uh, you know, Antonio's got two kids now plays more cash games, kind of relaxes, isn't really doing tournaments. Negranu just resigned from stars. You know, you got Helmuth who he's also, you know, he's pretty active and does stuff, but he's also not like super active. And Ivy's sort of disappeared and just in his own little world and what's happening is over in Asia. It's like, there's a lot of opportunity. I think now the guys that are in the industry are the Twitch guys, the YouTube people, the podcast, the guys that are doing content, Joey Ingram's those type of things. You got Lex, who's got a huge lead on Twitch now, just been so active and, and consistent. But you know, it's like guys like Jamie Staples, you know, myself. Like you're doing a podcast, you're doing a lot of content, you're putting stuff out, you stream. Like this is the stuff where when it, if the USA opens back up as well, there's going to be great opportunities. And uh, I think that's like people are looking for that. Like I, there's guys I see that uh, I remember my first YouTube vlogs I was doing in. 2017 in Vegas. Same thing. I just like was like, you know what? Let me start this YouTube thing. Jamie Staples told me it's the way to go months before. I said, I'm going to start it. I got in. I walked around. My first vlog was terrible. I had no idea what I'm doing. I'm filming everything, walking through stores, whatever, <laughs> this and that. But then I, I remember bringing my camera to a tournament around that first week and a guy came up to me. I had released maybe five or 10 vlogs, four vlogs. It was midway through the summer. This guy is like, comes up and we're sitting at a 1500 WSOP event. He's like, like, oh man, that's cool. He's like, that's really cool. You're doing the vlogs. Like, that's great. He goes, do you know, uh, do you know Doug Polk? And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I know Doug. Um, what's up? And he's like, oh, you know, I love that guy. Uh, he's, uh, he's the reason I'm here. Like I hadn't played poker in two years. And it was like, the guy's like saying, now here's from Doug's video. This guy was like there at the world series playing an event. And I think that's like the power of that type of stuff. Like the guys that are putting out troopers and Jeff Boskies and, you know, you can name a hundred guys and Tonka easy with aces, Spraggy, uh, Matt Staples, Pav, like guys on Twitch and then the YouTube. And then it, it kind of flows in together. And it's like, it just like the people that are putting the content out, those are the ones that are keeping poker alive. So if there's no Twitch, no YouTube, no podcast, poker would be basically dead. I mean, poker central poker go now they got, you know, they do the poker after dark. Sometimes they have these special shows once in a while. It's a little different, but you know, really there's, that's what I think people are watching and they're seeing it and that's getting them excited that's getting them interested. That's getting them back in it or into it for the first time. And, you know, Pennsylvania just passed sports betting passed at a federal level. Like there's definitely signs of, uh, of a resurgence and, and sort of uh, opportunity coming, I think, for those that are hungry and want to do it. And, and people love it. And, you know, beyond just showing the final tables, like on ESPN, um, their poker coverage, which was great back in the day too. Yeah. There, there's just a giant market for people that want to consume poker content, which I think reflects the status of the market in general and um maybe one day it will come back to the u.s on, on a bigger scale than it is now and i think that would be a very good thing i remember the glory days of party poker i would very much like that to happen but yeah in the meantime just going to keep doing my thing and you'll keep doing your thing and creating the best shit that we can uh yes. <laughs> so last question um then we'll get you out of here man you can go to europe where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Yep. So I'm Jeff Gross Poker across the board. Uh, Twitch in particular, it's jeffgrosspoker.tv. I have a uh, YouTube channel, Jeff Gross Poker, and then Twitter, Instagram, pretty active. Instagram stories almost every day. 
put out content there. A little, little bit of uh, my son now and, and family stuff, but it's a lot of poker. Oh, it's a, a lot. Show. <laughs> What's that? It's a lot of your son. Let's not yeah. be modest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're I very proud. I get it. I get those parents now that post the baby stuff all the time. It's just so fun. But uh, Poker Flow Show is very poker heavy only. Uh, that's on my Instagram and Twitter. And then I have Jeff Gross Podcast, which is the podcast that's across all this podcast platforms and on YouTube as well at separate channels. So, but if you, yeah, Jeff Gross Poker really, Snapchat as well. I don't use it as much, but Facebook, I have stuff, Discord. You know, I, I have a lot of the difference and a website. My website, you can see kind of all that and see my results or whatever. It's bio across the board, everything tied in there. So, yeah, I love it, man. And all this will be in the show notes for those of you listening that want to click through and check it out. Uh, Jeff, it's been an amazing experience. Thank you for coming on, my friend. I, I've enjoyed it greatly. Awesome. Really nice to meet you, talk with you, and we'll see you soon. I'll, I'll be following along and best of luck. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new poker platform where the games are safe and secure and the action's amazing, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash Pod to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.